the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. Afternoon, you're very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast. Neil Tracy here with you this week, and we have plenty to get through. TikTok Women's Six Nations roundup of the URC at the weekend, Heineken Champions Cup, and we want to talk as well about the the unfortunate retirement of Dan Levy yesterday at the age of just 27. So we're going to get straight into it because I've got Fiona Hayes and Eddie O'Sullivan with me. And we'll start, guys, with the Ireland women's team in Women's Six Nations at the weekend, losing 45 to France in Toulouse. Fiona, I might start with you because I'll speak to as a front row as well because it was pretty clear. I was looking back at the stat, the actual, just the bare stats of the game this morning. And... I was actually a little bit surprised how even some of them were. Possession <laughs> pretty much bang on. It was literally 50-50. France were marginally ahead of Ireland, but it wasn't really a concerning stat. You had Ireland passed a lot more. They had slightly more passing errors, but that was really just in line with the fact that they passed a lot more as well. Their ruck stats were quite good. They had quicker ball than France throughout the match. They had a lower portion of actual slow ball at the ruck. But four of the six tries were either first or second phase off a pretty dominant scrum or maul. And was that essentially where Ireland were ultimately well beaten? Absolutely. They were probably demolished in that area, if you're if you're honest about it. Um, from the start of the game, the height was off, the, the connections and the scrum were off. Um, and once France found that, they absolutely attacked it. Um, they really, really went for that scrum. And we saw like their, their bench come on and even uh, and or even bigger, heavier girls. And they just focused on that, um, that height and really went for it against Ireland. I think the disappointing thing for me was the the lack of fixing a few things throughout the game, Neil. Um, so the the scrum, obviously, you know, sometimes you're you're just going back and and obviously very dominant France pack, but I thought they might have tried to shift the height. I know at halftime Hanny came on and she did make um she made a, a difference in the front row for a couple of scrums. Um, but it was the line out, the line out was very, very disappointing for me. Um the you know the the calls, the overthrows, um, just the movement on the ground when when it wasn't working, nobody said, let's go back to basics. Let's just get the ball up at two. Let's take it down. Let's regroup a bit of mall and we can give it to our backline attack in that. So I, I think it was a bit of naivety when it came to that. I I, I love I love expansive lineouts. I, I love watching them, but just sometimes, unfortunately, it's not the nicest rugby to watch. But if you're not getting your own ball, you have to figure out how you're going to get the, your own ball. And France gave them that option in the way they set up. They put their nine at the front. They had a, 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 a prop lifting behind them. So there was space there to attack. It was just, I, I suppose, we just didn't hold on to our ball and, and, and it killed at the end, as you said, like, Stats were were really good. France were clinical, so France's handling errors also weren't kind of in a lot. weren't inside the twenty two a lot of the time. Um, maybe in areas uh, five meters out, Ireland had maybe two or three handling errors as well, which turnover gives France a scrum, which puts you in big trouble. So, so game management was another area. But I'm sure they'll work on that this week and and be a different team going in against Italy. Yeah, and Eddie, I, I think the game really showed up this. Like it, it is important, obviously, to, to expand the game style and expand the skills, but the bread and butter of your set pieces are just so important in the game room. 
Yeah, I mean, you can't play without the ball. And every time there's a set piece, you're giving the opposition an opportunity, particularly the scrum. Um, like if, if you're against a dominant scrum, we've seen this in every facet of, of rugby, whether it's men's, women's, underage. If a dominant scrum uh, is a huge platform, not just for the team who have the ball, but it's a chance to get it back when you don't have it. You know, and every mistake you make is compounded. So you only said by having to go to a scrum. So like it's it's a it's a bad situation, and it's very hard to win a game of rugby when your set piece is dysfunctional. Um, I think the other thing as well is that um, you know, when you're when you're getting pounded up front, and then you make mistakes because you referenced there that France has as many errors as we had, which is true. But like it kind of when you're making mistakes off a bad set piece, um, it makes it look worse again. You know, like. Like France's mistakes are kind of glossed over because they score five tries and they're dominant. So when things are going bad up front, it kind of frames everybody's around, oh, what's going on now? And look, they've knocked on the ball. Like when France knocked on the ball, it wasn't as big a problem. It was almost an opportunity because they had a scrum against us, you know. So that frames the narrative around it. Um, yeah, I think probably, um, I don't know if it'll be a problem this weekend, and it shouldn't be. I think when you go you know, up to play a team like France or England, What's going to happen is you're going to come under a lot more pressure uh, than you would have against a team like Wales. And that pressure obviously showed up in the set piece, but putting that aside, the pressure when you have the ball in your hands as well, they, they, they're more athletic, they shut down your time and space, they get up in your face quicker. So that's going to bring about errors in handling. That's one thing you do. If you want to unhinge the opposition when they're running with the ball, the first thing you do is put them under pressure and seeking to handle it. So I think maybe Ireland needed to probably expect to be under that bit more pressure with the ball in hand. And it kind of seemed like a shock to their system that they were under pressure with the ball in hand and that led to mistakes. So they probably need to recalibrate what they were doing. They should have expected that France are going to bring a lot more heat on us when we have the ball. And maybe we've got to cut our cloth around that a little bit. Because again, it's an easy narrative now to have a go to about all the knock-ons and stuff. But the fact remains is that they were put under more pressure, but they kind of should have expected that. And maybe if they cut their claw out a bit and said, look, we're not going to push the thing too much with the ball in hand, we're going to be a little more conservative, they might have held on to the ball a bit more. You know, and, and these are small kind of decisions you make, but they do impact maybe how the game plays out. So, um, as I said, I, don't, I would hope it wouldn't be a problem against Italy, but certainly when you're playing a team like England or France, it's just going to come more heat on you when you have the ball. And that's, that's the reality. Yeah, and like Fiona, actually, like even there were quite a few people I saw over the last couple of days kind of saying that it finished 45. I, I think there were probably plenty of people who thought the scoreline might have been a little bit wider as well, considering how good France had looked against Italy and just the, how, how much Ireland struggled physically against Wales as well. But putting all that aside, I think there's been a lot of understanding about where they are in their journey over the course of these last couple of weeks and these opening rounds. But when we've Italy coming to Musgrave Park on Sunday evening, Italy having shipped 70 points against England, well beaten against France in the opening game. There has to be more of a focus this week now on, okay, we've got through these first couple of games. We've seen a lot of mistakes, but this is the game. This is must win stuff now. You know, no more excuses. This is a game that you really should be winning. This is absolutely massive, I think, for for this Irish team, Um, you know, and especially for the style of rugby that Greg likes to play and how he's he's gelled that team together to play it this is a real chance to to view it you've got you've got a home game you know Italy 
Italy could be quite dangerous. They never expected to beat. They had England and France, you have to remember, in the first two games. So they never would have expected to beat them. Their, um, their lineup hasn't been functioning, but their scrum is very, very solid. In last year's Six Nations, Italy had a 100% success rate at scrum time, and they actually caused France in that first game um, a lot of trouble. I think uh, the, the French uh, loose head gave away three penalties in a row to start off the game. Now, they sorted that out, but, but they have a very good scrum. Looking at this Italian team and looking at the Ireland team, you know, I would expect Ireland to win. I, I think we... Italy overplay. They've been doing it all championship. You know, Ireland's line speed. I've been impressed with that at times. We've come up. The decision-making at rock time was a little bit better against France. You know, we spoke about in the Wales, they didn't have that bite at the ball ever. They left it off. We saw times where they went for that ball. They mightn't have turned it over, but we saw times, and maybe against a, a smaller Italian team, they will get their chances for turnovers. So looking at it, they're probably going to go in. I, I think they'd maybe three weekends together, Neil, before it. So you you know, you'd wonder how much set piece is done. And I've been in camps and, and Eddie'd be the same. I don't like you might only have six minutes scrum one day. It might be 11 minutes line out. You might go back and look at video, but it's very, very small, minute pieces done around those areas. So they've seen that that's a weakness. So we would, we would hope as they get that extra day together this time as well, that they will, will, will gel over and fix those, those mistakes. So I think it is look, those 26 handling errors, there was sevens players making a lot of those errors. It's very uncharacteristic of them. I know we talked about line speed and they have to, they, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I've watched these girls play and they would never make them. So it was just an off game in general, I think for some of the players. So they have a chance to fix it now. We know in the 15s game, there's far more pressure, far more line speed. They've felt that, they've experienced it. They're, they now get a chance to fix that, right? And, you know, I think, um, I would imagine we will see Parsons start, and I could be wrong, but I think she needs a go. And this would be, her confidence looked a little bit low when she came on. You know, we've seen she can light it up. So I think if she got a start here, I think we see um a, a lot of Irish play trying to get her away on the wing. Yeah, and on, on that, Fiona, you mentioned Bevan Parsons there. You think she might come in. Who, who do you see her coming in for? Does she come in for one of Amy Lee Murphy-Crow or Lucy Mulhall? Or does one of them switch to full back and Emer Constantine swap out? And aside from that as well, what other changes do you think we could be seeing this week? Yeah, I think I think Greg has spoke about, you know, he wants to gel this team together. We've seen it by picking the same starting selection, but it, but he also has to start looking at performance now. So I think he will be looking at that. I, I think he might try Amy Lee and Baven on, on both wings. So Emer, okay, so this is the thing with Emer. She might have had a couple of errors, but if you take Emer out of this game, the, the the other two girls that will be starting potentially ahead of her will be gone for the last two games. So do you dent someone's confidence a little bit? Because um, maybe, you know, maybe she isn't playing up to the standard. You have to remember that he's got to try and gel this together and he's got to get his players going confident into that Scotland and England game as well. So so I would imagine it might be Lucy Mulhall. We might see that shake up. Um, Emer might switch the wing and Amy Lee might go back into full back. Um, it, she's a possibility playing there. I'm not too sure what way he'll go but I would be I would be surprised if he did drop Emer Constantine Eddie would you like to see any other changes aside from Bevan Parsons coming in well on that I, I just completely confused as to why she hasn't started the Southern Championship like uh, the, the the excuses that is used that they're resting her or giving her time is just beyond belief like she's a I was kind of figuring out if I was in that position if we like me picking her there she would have Brian O'Driscoll you know, I can't see the upside of leaving her out. 
And and uh, from Fiona said there, you know, her, her confidence looked a bit rattled when she came on. I'm not surprised because I presume she would have gone into the championship thinking she was a nail in the selection. And then to get two games on the bench, I just think that doesn't do her confidence any good. Like wingers, and I played on the wing um, many, many, many years ago. A few many more isn't there if you want. But <laughs> like confidence is really important for a winger. You're a finisher, like, you know, and, and if you're not playing, you, uh, it, it gets into your head a little bit. And I just don't understand that at all. And I don't, I, I can't get my head around this thing of resting or, or managing her. Like, she's not like she's playing rugby every weekend. She's not a full-time professional in the sense that she's got, you know, potentially 40 games a year. Like, like say Johnny Sexton might have, he played everything. So I think he's been made, that's been an error in judgment on his part. And, and I, I hope it's tricks for this weekend because even if she doesn't play this weekend, she's not going to play in the Six Nations, which beggars belief. She'll be gone with the sevens. Um, so... Um, anyway, that's my rant on that. I just can't believe he didn't do that, you know. And that's no disrespect to the other girls. But to be fair to Baby Parsons, she's been a superstar for us, you know. Um, so I hope she starts this weekend. Um, I don't I don't think there's any massive game changes outside of her, you know. I think he's got to get the stuff right that he can get right. And I think Fiona said there that maybe they haven't put enough emphasis on the, the set piece, Um in their training, and that's possible. Maybe they've loaded stuff the wrong way in their build-ups, and you do have limited time. You know, even if you, even if you have players for a week, you can't train them eight hours a day. You know, training sessions can only really on the ground. You can go no more than an hour and forty-five minutes maximum. Really, if you push two hours, you're really stretching it, and an hour and a half is ideal. So, you know, you can you can train twice a day. Like so. There are limitations. People don't realise that when you're preparing for a test game on a Saturday, you can run the players into the ground from Monday to Thursday and then they're, they have no energy on the weekend. You've got to measure your time. So maybe, they, as Fiona said there, which is a fair point, they've got their, their, their balances a little off in terms of their prep time around the set piece. But I don't know, if I was going to play France next Saturday, um, like as they were last week, the one thing I would have got nailed down was a set piece. You know, that, so that was... If they got that wrong, they've got to fix it. No, the Italian scrum, again, Fiona's right, it's a fairly hefty unit. So they need to fix that. If the scrum goes pear-shaped on the weekend, I think it's a game they could lose. And it is a game they must win now. Let's be realistic. Like, okay, the Wales game got away from them, I think. I thought that was there for a while. Nobody expected a win in, in, in France. All right, and we can discuss the merits or demerits of how they lost. But this is a game they have to win, I think. You know, this, if they lose this... And the girls leaving for the sevens it'll put them in a really difficult spot for the last two games. Um, so there is a lot of pressure on, but that's the way it goes. That's international rugby. It is what it is. They've got it front up. Um, I'd like to think they have the, the horses for this, but if they cut their claws right and they get their set piece right, and their defence has been pretty good, the, all the ingredients are there to beat Italy on the weekend. So it's a matter now of execution. With that, sorry as well, Neil. I, I'd be a big fan on Catherine Dane coming back into this squad. Um, I thought Riley was really good, but she was under a lot of pressure at times. Dane, you know, she's a calm. She's got a lot of caps under her belt. So I think coming into this game, it would be probably the right decision um, in my mind to get her in there. And I'd love to see Hannah O'Connor get a crack in the back row, maybe at eight as well. So like there are people there to, to make the changes. Um, I know he wants to stick with, with this squad and, and there is a possibility that Riley might be going to away to the sevens as well. I know she has played a bit of sevens. So so now is a chance to get Catherine Dane in there. You know, I thought she'd done well when she came on, especially in the Wales game. So she's a chance now. Yeah. And as you said, those 
that seven, that's you know sevens uh, sevens break at the end of the Six Nations probably just puts it even more pressure on the game this weekend when you consider that that final game against Scotland they're going to be missing so many players for it. But uh, that is Ireland against Italy in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. Half past four, the coverage gets underway on RT2 and RT Player this Sunday evening. Kickoff is at five o'clock. We also have coverage on RT Radio 1 as well. I'm going to move on because we have so much to, to cover as well this week. And I'm going to bump it up the order. Uh, I had it towards the end because I think we probably deserve to, to speak about him in a good chunk today. And that's Dan Levy, who had to announce his retirement yesterday at the age of just 27 Three years, oh, just over three years to the day since that utterly horrendous injury he suffered against Ulster, which is ultimately the injury he hasn't been able to fully recover from. Um, Stephen Ferris, Eddie was talking about him on Game On on 2FM last night and probably appropriate to have a player like that speaking about him because Stephen was a, another one who was probably robbed of a good chunk of his career as well. But if we could just talk about Dan Levy and what a, what a missed talent he he could prove to be in Irish rugby. Well, look, I mean, I, there's nothing I, I didn't have the pleasure of coaching Dan, you know, which is a, you know, you see a player like that, you'd always have to have been around him and be able to coach him, you know, and have him in your team. Um, there's not much I can say that hasn't been said about him in terms of his, his ability, but I think when you hear so many people coming out off the bat and saying, you know, really solid, strong things about him, there's no doubt that he's a special player and, and the travesty, uh, of this, a bit like Stephen, is that your know, career cut very, very short with, with, with horrendous injuries. Um, like the thing about it as well is he battled back from terrible injuries. Like he kept coming back and then to get sucker punched again. Like and, and it's just so cruel. That's it's probably the cruelest thing about professional sport, like particularly rugby, is the amount of effort that these guys put in, the amount of work they put in to get to play, and then it's all snatched away again in a moment that's completely outside your control like a horrendous knee injury, like, and it's, it's, it's brutal. And, and like that injury he had, um, that, that's, that's really finished his career. He's been working back from that for so long and then to get hit again and again. So it takes incredible, it takes incredible courage to do that. Like when you're on your own in rehab, like a month into a six month rehab and you're on your own in the gym and you're rehabbing on your own, and everyone else is out the pitch training. It's gut wrenching stuff, but that's, it takes incredible um, tenacity to keep going at that stage. So I, I just got it for the guy. I mean, he's an outstanding player, hugely, hugely popular with his own professionals, which is always a great sign. Huge respect from, but he was a phenomenal. He made, he went to, in a game, he made a big difference. And I suppose, and unfortunately for him, you know, he's in a position where Ireland have lots of talent. We've all, like the last 20 years, we've had tons of, 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 uh, of back row players, you know, and, when he was missing, like somebody else took his place. So in a way, he was forgotten about very quickly, which is tough as well. You know, um, other players who we don't have the same cover for, you know, we always worry about them more. So, yeah, I, I'm just devastated for the guy. Like, I'd love to have seen him back. And it's such an early age of your career to be over. But it's the cruelty of rugby. And I think, you know, my, give him my best wishes for everyone wants to do. But a standout guy, you know, an incredible character and uh, the best luck to him. Yeah, and Fiona, it probably like it probably speaks to the extent of that injury that he's been back playing from it for eighteen months, and you have to probably imagine that if if he's been forced to call time over it now, three years on from actually suffering the injury, that it's probably you know he's probably still had to be dealing with the pain and the management of it ever since coming back. And I've seen a few people point out as well, it's it actually seems remarkable that he's 
He's played 16 games of rugby over the course of these 18 months, even since then. Yeah, that's it. Like he's just he's just an immense character. And I think, you know, even growing up, I I loved watching back rows play. I loved Queenie. I love Wally. I just loved that position. I loved what they done around the pitch, seeing all their involvements. And and I was a big fan of his. He was he was immense at the breakdown, well able to carry the ball. He was he was such a solid player. And for him to to, to work his way back from that knee injury. I, I actually met him at a function and it was kind of in the midst of that rehab and he was saying, yeah, I'll be back, you know, and he was so positive about getting back in the pitch and, and he probably honestly felt that he would, but, you know, he played those 16 games, probably in pain, Neil, probably just didn't know what to do with it. Then he'd get a little knock, maybe a train and then he was out again. It's absolutely heartbreaking, but if, if for the safety, I suppose, and his own mental health, he probably, although the doctors called time, he probably had to, he knew it was it had to come as well. You can imagine getting out for two games, getting into the buzz of it, and then being told, okay, you're out again for another four weeks. It's it's just heartbreaking. And that's what rugby is at times. But but unfortunately for him, 27 years of age is just so, so young. Yeah, and Eddie, it's kind of in the last couple of days as well, it's probably raised the, the question about the way the rock is approached by both referees and players with dangerous clear outs and things. Because I know his was an extreme example now, and it was probably, it was, probably up there with the worst injuries we one-off injuries we have seen but you know a few days ago for example Gavin Coombs goes over I know it's a minor injury it seems at the moment anyway going over on his ankle but you know that seemed to be a side entry from Devin Toner and you know lifting up and coming in from the side and you know someone gets trapped underneath his leg and like the rock and the breakdown it's it's the it, like it's basically the wild west um I don't think, I think to be fair, like if you want to see Rockin go back about 20 years, um, you see real Rockin like that, you, like that you could actually yeah, rock with your feet. But that's a different, you know, that's that's getting that's getting right, stood I, on. That's getting stood yeah, on. No, yeah. no, no, wait, there, there wasn't, no, there wasn't. There was legal rocking back in the day yeah. where you, you couldn't stand on somebody because you could you could you could rock them. That's what the word comes to. You could rock them out the back of the rock with your feet. So as long as your your feet were not going vertical, if they were going back. So it was legal to, to use your feet on somebody 20, 25 years ago. So they have they have they have cleaned up the rock. Um, that's my point, really. My point is, I, I think um, the rock is in the same place as a tackle at the moment. We don't talk about the rock as much, um, but the rock is in the same place to tackle. And I think they are trying to clean it up. Is probably not the best way to put it, but sanitize it in some way, in a way we have so many protocols around the tackle now and they've done the same with the rock i mean if you go back only again two or three years it was legal to to clean out a rock with a neck roll it was quite every every, every people were neck rolling every day of the week and they've clamped on that i think to step back from the whole kind of tackle rock scenario the notion that world rugby will somehow make the rock and the tackle completely safe and there'll be very few high tackles and very few head collisions, and at the rock, there'd be very few injuries. I think, to be honest, a bit delusional because at the end of the day, it's a contact sport. You've got these huge athletes running at high speed, competing for the ball. See, I think we're going to have injuries. It happens in the NFL. People get there, get injured in the NFL every week. It's, it's kind of close. the only comparison we have to rugby in terms of the contact levels. Um, so I think the problem is, is these, this is just part and parcel of rugby. And I think, yeah, we're, we're, we're legislating around people being more careful with head contact. The whole concussion thing is not exclusively to the tackle either. 
there's concussions at the rock as well. You know, people are getting their, their bell rung at the rock. If you put your head into a rock to try and push the ball and somebody comes and cleans it out, there's a good chance you're going to get your bell rung, you know. And that's a concussion, whether it's an attack or a rock. So it's a massive, difficult, difficult area. And I, I really think that um, the notion that we can have this situation where we can sanitise the point where there's practically no risk of injury is delusional. Um, it's, it's going to be part and parcel of the game. And I, 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 these injuries are going to continue... They're rare enough, to be honest with you. When you, you imagine how many rocks there are in a game, like there was one serious injury, I think, last weekend in the Monster Lens game, which is pretty much full metal jacket, and it was Gavin Coombs. So how many rocks were there in that game? And we had one injury. So it's not as bad as it looks. When it happens, it's like, it's like a bad car crash. When it happens, it looks awful. But, you know, not every, not, not, not every uh, car crash is a very bad car crash, but there's going to be car crashes because we all drive cars. So it's kind of like that. You're trying to manage that environment. So I think like people calling as well in the tackle for this and for that and they're up for this and for that. I think you can have protocols around it that make it safer. But I don't think we can get to a point where, you know, injuries don't happen. I, I just think it's part and parcel of the game and it's horrible when you see it. And I think the great thing now that's changed in the game from many years ago is, as I call, used to call them, the headhunters are gone. Like, there's nobody going around trying to hurt people anymore. It's very rare you see someone taking a cheap shot and if they get caught, they get really hammered for it. Um, everybody, you know, you're talking about professional players. They're all trying to do their job and not hurt anybody. But they all know happens, you know. And even now you see somebody who's getting on his way off at a red car for a high tackle. The first person he goes over and he, it's the guy he, he tackled. And shakes hand and says, look, sorry about that, mate, you know. So I think they're all, they're, they are, rugby are trying to do the right thing. But I think we have to kind of be realistic that rugby is going to have injuries and it's going to have concussions. And that's just a fact of life. And people have to, at the end of the day, maybe want to make a decision. Well, do I want to put myself in that position to play the game? And that's a bigger problem because parents may have a decision for their kids. And that's a bigger discussion. Because we're not a time, obviously. You know, it's that, what Eddie was saying there is probably along the lines of what Peter O'Mahony was saying yesterday. He was kind of asked a, a similar sort of question as well. And he was trying to explain, you know, the margins are so small. And, you know, the players, you know, if you go in and you don't go in fully committed into a ruck, you're going to hear it about it from your forwards coach or from your breakdown coach in a couple of days' time. So what can what can World Rugby, what can the powers that be do realistically to try clean it up? What, what are the areas they can target so that we don't have players with, you know, who are in a pretty exposed position going in over the ball, trying to poach the, trying to poach the ball at the rock. They've got knees exposed, their head is there, they're a sitting duck, as Eddie was saying. What can World Rugby realistically do without completely changing the game. I think I think they've done it. I think that whole side entry, they've kind of focused in on that. I know we saw it at the weekend. I think that whole coming in square, I think the referees really now need to work around that area. Um, something that kind of jumped out at me as well. Obviously, I'm not, uh, you know, in world rugby and I don't and I'm not going to change anything. But sometimes we saw in that cleanup, we saw Toner because he'd come inside that he grabs the kind of lower part of the leg to lift him over. So maybe on cleanouts, if if I if I'm coaching, I'm focusing to get underneath the chest, come in square. And obviously you're doing that airplane motion, driving backwards. There's no pulling. There's no grabbing. Um, so maybe just something looking a, 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 along the lines of maybe punishing that grabbing of the leg or anything got to do with the leg. Because if you come in for the correct uh, area on that poach, you shouldn't be hitting anywhere near the leg because you're front on and their chest on. Save that for the day World Rugby implemented. <laughs> and you, you can invoice World Rugby for it. And uh, we'll call it the Hayes Law. 
we'll call it the haze lot. We'll move on to we'll move on to the games this weekend in the Heineken Champions Cup because it's what we've been waiting to see all season. This uh, this two legged home and away format in the last sixteen. Um, Eddie, in your coaching experience, were you ever involved in these games? Because they are pretty rare in rugby. This this home and away format. I know they did it in the in England in the Championship kind of semi-finals and final. Uh, they would have done it for a few years, but it's not something we're particularly used to seeing. No, I was involved in uh, World Cup qualifiers with the US. Yeah, you know, played a home and away, and the aggregate score uh, decided whether you went through or not. Um, like the so they're they're kind of they're unusual in that like when you finish the first game, it's only half time, you know, and you've got to get that through your head. But I think the the big factor is um, how you do if you're away from home first. The big factor is how you manage that, you know, um, because if the game if it gets away from you away from home, you know, uh, and you get back home the following week and you're three scores down when the ball's been kicked off, like you're pushing a rock up a hill. And the pressure is immense because you know, like one mistake, and it's probably curtains. So the away game almost, if you're away from home first, it sets the agenda. Um, so I, I think that's you know, we say for example, Ulster are going to Toulouse, once they're going to Exeter, you know, um, like they have to come away from that and still keep it a one-score game at worst. If you're on a one-score game, then the pressure's on the opposition to follow. They know one score and it's back to level. So it's kind of all that mentality and all that psychology goes on. Um, so to me, like that's the, the how teams manage that to me is really important. Now, that at the end of the day, that's just one part of the rest of it. You've still got to go and play the game. Mm. You know, you've still got to try and get it. And if you can get a result away from home, it's massive, you know, because like, then that's a huge advantage. But for me, I think that's, the interesting part of it is where teams will be at the end of the weekend in terms of whether they're home or away in the next leg and, and what, what the score spread is. You know, are you are you ahead? Are you behind? Are you are you still in with a shout? Um, so for me, that that's the intrigue of it. Fiona, are you looking forward to seeing the just the kind of dynamic of it? Now, I suspect it might, as, as Eddie said, where you have a lot of teams away from home in the first leg, just trying to stay in touch, mm-hmm. trying to stay within a score. Does it probably mean we're likely to see a lot of pretty conservative first legs. A lot of conservative yeah, yeah. game plans, territory possession sort of stuff. Teams not really throwing the ball around. That's what I was wondering, um, you know, because you obviously have to look at that game plan for both teams, you know, and when, when you're focusing on a team, you'll have a game plan for that game. I'm really looking forward to the two-lose game, you know. You've got uh, Ulster, two-lose, they're away from home. Uh, you're, you will wonder what type of rugby, we know what rugby two-lose have played, 10 French international Grand Slam winning people coming back into that squad. We know the type of rugby to, they're going to play. So I'm going to be really interested to see what type of game plan Ulster will have. Will they keep it tight? and narrow will they try that you know I, I know Balakoon is coming back into the squad will we see the rugby that they have been playing all season where they've been really good linking up in between their backs and forwards first game uh, up is Friday night I might get into that one first it's uh, yeah. Connacht and Leinster their first leg at the sports ground the big question everyone wants to know obviously Eddie is can Connacht just stay in touch and keep this a two-legged game or like you know two weeks ago we saw Leinster just go out there and in the second half Pull absolutely clear, running tries, and I suppose the difficult part is now, for, from a conic point of view, that was a second string Leinster team. They brought the bingo yeah. back out. I, I don't think the Leinster game is really from from um, from the this last game of the sport ground is relevant because you know Connacht had a red card in the first couple of minutes, so like you can take that and tear up the script on that one. 
Um, I think Connacht did well in the first half there, but the wheels eventually came off. There's just too much power in the field in Leicester. But park that because it's not relevant. I think the, the, the dilemma Connacht have is that um, I suppose they, their game management has been a big problem for them uh, all season. They've been in, like you saw it again last week in, 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 uh, in Benetton, they were in charge of the game and suddenly like they had to come from behind to get a try and then they spent the last five minutes on their goal line. You know, I mean, it was, it was nail-biting stuff. So, I think their be- the thing going in their favour, their best form this year has been in Europe, Connacht. They only won one game, but they should have beaten Leicester uh, in, in Galway, lost the last play of the game. Could have beaten Leicester in Leicester. They gave that a thumping in the sports ground, you know. So, they, they have form in the tournament um, and it is cup rugby. Uh, but having said that, I, I think that you're right. They have to try and stay in the game. But the only way Connacht can stay in the game is to, to, to let rip. That's the strange thing about it. Like, they're an attacking team. Like they play when they play their game, they are a problem for everybody. And when they try and can manage the game and go back into a more conservative push, they're not able to do it. No, that's that's another day's work how they could develop that. But it's it's just the way it is for them at the moment. But the big problem for them has been this year has been their defense. It's just been appalling. Like, and that's that's not been unfair. Like they've the second worst defense in the URC. Um the only team worse than them are are, 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 are Treviso. There's leaking tries. Their discipline is shocking as well. So if they defend smart on the weekend, and that goes back to their setups, which are sometimes off the wall, goes up to their individual decision making. So you tidy up their defence, keep their discipline, and play their game. They'll probably be in the game coming into the last quarter, and that's all they can. That's all they like. They need to go to Dublin the following week with a, with a shot, and the only way to give them such a shot is to stay in the game, and that starts with their defence and their discipline. I said, if they defend well and they're disciplined, they'll be in the game. Because in the sports ground, they'll bring a lot of energy. The crowd will be, you know, right behind them. And they do feed off the crowd. So I think that's their, their route to staying in the hunt here. And if they were to turn Leinster over uh, next weekend, or, you know, we're still for Leinster the following weekend, it'd be the shock of the season in Europe, you know. But that's the reality they're facing. Um, but having said that, look, it's, it's a game of rugby for 80 minutes. The problem is they'd have to do it again the following week, which is a huge ask in Dublin. But like they're going to deal with some front of them, and that's next Saturday in the sports zone. Defend well, keep your discipline, play your game, get the crowd into the game. That's their best shot. Yeah, and Fiona, I think we saw it at Tommen Park at the weekend, just just how sharp Leinster are when when they have those internationals back. Like it, at times it was like looking like I know we'll talk about Munster in a couple of minutes, but specifically on Leinster, it was like a decent club team playing a test team. Yeah, their their cohesion was just amazing. You know, you guys just coming into this squad, even when the bench came on, everything just looks so sharp. It looks like they're getting better and better every game they play. You know, they as as I said, the internationals came back in. They just slotted in there. It was there was no Johnny Sexton even pulling the strings, but it was still just really really good rugby to watch. And let's be honest, they never looked under pressure for Munster at any stage for for the whole game. You know, the scoreline probably doesn't reflect the way the, the game actually went but just their interlinked play I thought Gary Ringrose was outstanding so I think Connacht are meeting uh, Leinster at a very uh, tough time because you know I know any one game you can and especially in the sports ground we know what Connacht can do there but watching Connacht's form over the last few games their discipline like Eddie said hasn't been great their, their set piece at times their line out especially was malfunctioning in a couple of games so, so they really need to be in exceptional form to go anywhere near this Leinster team because everything is clicking. They're playing right on that game line and it's really, really good tries they're scoring, especially offset piece. 
and Eddie, they, like this is the competition Leinster want. Like they, there have been, I've been on a lot of press conferences with Leinster this season, and the amount of times that La Rochelle game has been mentioned either by Leo Cullen or by players, it is clearly something that is still stuck in their heads, and it is something they are absolutely determined to write this season. Oh yeah, I mean, look, Leinster's ambitions are are Heineken Cup. There's no question about it. I think, yeah, you know, no one's going to bet against them not winning the ORC as well. But I think for themselves, the ORC is is their day to day. But this is the championship for them. You know, in the GA parlance, there's the league and the championship. And for for, for Leinster, Heineken Cup is a championship, and that's where they've set their sights. They're right. They have a, they have a phenomenal team. They're they're you know they're they're the one team in the URC that could go to France every weekend and play. You know that's our, our England for that matter. You know if you had other teams in the URC had to go away to France or go away to England every week and play, it'd be a tall order. You can pull out these one big performances, but Leinster can replicate that. They have the talent. Um, they have an incredible squad of players, and and they the ability to rotate players in and out. Injuries don't unhinge them that much. Um, so yeah, like they are the, they are the the best team in the URC. I'm not going to, now. Will they win the URC? That's a sort of discussion. Yeah, but I think, but there, I think for them, their eyes on the prize is, is the Heineken Cup, and that's basically where it begins and ends from. And if if they if they don't win the Heineken this year, they, they won't see it as a great season. That's that's a fact. Um, but, but for good reason, as Fiona said, like they have so much talent and they're playing so well, they know exactly what they're at. But I thought last week in in Limerick, you know, they showed up monstrous frailties, which. I think with Munster, if you're careful going into Exeter, uh, that they, like they pull the Munster defensive part off starter plays, which is very worrying for Munster. You know, the starter plays they ran, they ran them really well, no question. They were very accurate, very precise. But Munster just had no idea what was going on. They were all over the shop and the outside channels. And that was a very easy in for Leinster in the key moment of the game when they wanted to get a bit of momentum. Just ran some good starter plays. They ripped the, the Munster defence wide open. And once they're on the front foot, Munster were droning. And, and then Munster, on the other hand, couldn't create that sort of go forward. You saw Munster again. Once they got into the kill zone, they were pretty good. But Munster's problem is getting into the kill zone. Like if they get, if you if your discipline is poor against against Munster, they'll put it into the corner and you won't get out. You know they'll keep you in there, they'll choke you out, and they're brilliant at it. Uh, but Munster's strike rate from deep, you know, is very very poor. They need to get they need access to your twenty two to really hurt you, and. Um, if Exeter leave Munster into their 22, Munster punish him. But if, 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 if Exeter keep Munster out of their third of the field or smart defensively, uh, Munster will struggle to get into those key positions, you know. And I think that's the big work of progress at the moment for us. And you've this overarching thing about who's coaching the team next year. You know, that's a huge problem for us or for Munster at the moment. Um, you see Peter Romani saying yesterday it's not ideal, which is the code word for it's a disaster, you know. Like, let's be honest, you can't say that. But like it is, it is affecting the team that they have no idea what's going on next year. There's absolutely no idea what's going on in terms of who's taking charge or who's going to be. And that, like, people say, oh well, that doesn't matter for next season. But look, players are people as well. They're just wondering what the hell's going on, and that does affect you, you know. And it's difficult as well on Van Brian. I don't know why he announced his departure so early in the season. You know that that on that affects the team as well. And then, you know, two coaches going out the door at the end of the season, like. If they're halfway out the door, look, as reality is, it's very hard from to have the same impact if guys are not in for the long haul. And that's also reality as well. These are things nobody wants to say out loud. But the fact remains, if you're a player and a coach is halfway out the door, it does change your dynamics. Uh, and Steve Larkham going as well. Uh, nobody knows who's taking over. Like All that is really, really difficult for the players. 
And then we expect them, oh, don't worry about that. You know, move on, play your game. And I just think once look very vulnerable at the moment. And I saw, we saw that last week in, in, in Thorne Park when Leinster really, you know, like four tries to one. You can you can skin that kind of at any way you want to. But once, once they're losing by four tries to one to Leinster in Thorne Park, think about that and just, just for a moment and pause and say, not a good day by any stretch. No. No, certainly was. And Fiona, on the, like, as Eddie mentioned, the, the uncertainty as well, and Peter Matney saying, you know, it's not ideal. I was on that call yesterday when he, when he was asked about it as well. But it's like, it's not just <coughs> uncertainty as well, because if you, look at, if you look at the game against Leinster last week as an example, I know some of these players were in because of injuries as well. But on top of the fact that three of the coaching tickets aren't going to be there next season, of the match day squad that played against Leinster, you had Matt Gallagher at fullback not going to be at Munster next season. You Chris Clute in the back row, not going to be at Munster next season. Jason Jenkins in the second row, not going to be at Munster next season. Damian Dalende in the centre, not going to be at Munster next season. And John Ryan coming off the bench, not going to be at Munster next season. Five of the match day 23, on top of three of the, of the four senior coaches involved in the squad, aren't going to be at the province next season. Yeah, I suppose you could say they're focusing on the, the here and now, but like as as a fan going to the games, you know, you're you're wondering what what are we breeding through? You know, we're looking to the future. We're questioning what type of Eddie spoke about. You know, you've players in there. You've a coach telling you play this style of play, or, or or we're trying to do this, and it's very hard coming towards the end of the season, especially when you're not winning those big games, to to listen to that. And because you know they're going to be gone, you know it's someone else going to be different in there. And look, I, I know there's obviously reasons for rotation, but I was very disappointed not to see Jack O'Donoghue on that uh, on that uh, even starting team against the Leinster squad. You know. Know, I know they have to rotate players. I know he's not injured, but in this day and age, in this type of rugby, you have to. That Munster Leinster rivalry is still massive. It's massive with the fans and it's huge with the players from Munster. You know that are born bred. You completely love it. You love those games. So, so it was unusual for Clote to be in there. I know he's getting game time. He's already said he's 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 gone. You know, you're 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 dead right. It's it's about time coming towards the end of the season. We're going to look at each game, but. Munster have to start focusing on the future. There's no plan going ahead. And I think that's a massive issue. And even just say if Roundtree, I know he's probably interested in the job. If he comes in, they have to be very, very clever in the coaches they get in around him. If he's head coach, we know, we know what he's done in the pack. He's immense, you know. He brings that. And as a head coach, we, we'll see what he can bring. But we'll need a backline attack coach of a high quality. And I know they're probably looking at it and, and they're trying to get someone in. But it's it's an area of the game that, that Munster needs to start focusing on they need to start focusing on players getting them ready going into to next season who we've got around it's all well and good living now but I think we have to start looking a bit to the future as well yeah and as you speak as well I'm I'm, I'm conscious of Murphy's law and I'm constantly just looking over my shoulder because it would be typical if Munster announced a new head coach to have a conversation and the whole podcast is up in flames but we're running out of time we're going to quickly jump onto Toulouse against Ulster because that's Saturday afternoon as well I know you touched on it earlier on but if Ulster, Eddie, if Ulster can finish within a score in this game, bring it back to Belfast next week, that's a reasonable position for them to be in. Oh, absolutely, yeah, 100%. If they can, uh, they can stay in the game. So one-score game going to Raven Hill, I'd be fancying Ulster to come over that one. Um, the thing for Ulster is how they play. Like, Ulster played well this year. It's been a really good uh, season for them. They've played really well in the URC. Um, they were very unfortunate, not like in the first game in... in um, 
in in South Africa. They they are a really bad decision. They cost them the game. So they're, they're in their heads. Like they they they're in a good place. They're playing a good brand of rugby. Um, Nathan Doak has been outstanding for him. Like he's been an absolute leader for him. Um, now to lose. This is no easy one because you're facing into basically the French team and you're away from home. You know that's the reality of it. But I think what they'll need to do is maybe be a bit more conservative. They don't want to turn the game into an open, free-running game where the ball has been thrown around all over the place because, like, that's not going to suit them away in France against Toulouse. So they're probably going to have to be a lot more risk-adverse, which is probably against their nature this year. Like, Ulster played a good brand of rugby. They've been quite happy to move the ball from deep and they've got a good um, dynamics around their game. But I think they have to be think twice about doing that. And it's not, not saying they can't do that, but they've got to be pick the right moment to speed up the game. And I think if, if you're playing a French team away from home, <clears throat> whether it's international or whether it's club level, the key is to frustrate them. Like they want to put on a performance in front of their fans and they, they want to kind of, you know, basically play their style of rugby, which a lot of it is run and gun. So you need to st- stop them doing that. Keep them deep in their half, you know, keep pumping the ball into the corners, keep kicking contestables that they make them start for slow rucks in their own third of the field. And, you know, the longer you keep doing that, the longer you keep them out of the most key field positions where they can open up, the more frustrated they'll get. And then maybe they force it and you, you pick something off or the, their discipline slips and you get a couple of penalties. And then the crowd start getting restless, moving in their seats. And, you know, you get into late into the second half and they haven't pulled away. And, you know, that's where you want to put to lose next weekend is in a very uncomfortable place with 10 minutes to go. But you can only do that if you set your stall out in the early part. And also, you have to adapt their game. They may have to cut back a little bit and maybe not don't run from deep. Or if you're going to run from deep, you've got to be 100% sure you're going to get over the halfway line. You know, you can't end up with a rock in your own 22 on the far touchline. You know, so things like that, they've got to be smart about that. They're well capable of doing it. Um, no question about it. But I have a feeling if they, if they, can, if they can wrap Toulouse up on the weekend and keep it tight, I think they, they'd be set up for a big one in, in, in uh, back in Ravenhill the following week. No question about it. Yeah, Fiona, finally to you. I remember at the, the tail end of the pool stages, Dan McFarland, he kind of had a, a joking laugh to himself where he kind of said that, you know, Ulster win four games out of four in the pool stages and their reward for all of that is two legs against Toulouse, who, who only ended up in that situation because COVID cancellations means, you know, they lost out on points they probably would have won otherwise. But look at the challenge they're going to have to take on. And as Eddie says, they are capable of doing it. Yeah, they're definitely yeah. capable of doing it. I suppose you, it's two legs that you didn't want to, to be playing to lose against uh, in this format. But look, it, it is what it is. And Eddie's spot on by saying if they can keep it within a score, you know, Ravenhill has become a real fortress again for them this year. You know, the, the crowds up there, they're they're playing good rugby. They're loving how they're playing. And it, it's, it's, it's a hard place to go for any team. I think... With Toulouse, you know what they're going to bring. They're, they're exceptionally powerful pack. you got Marchand and Cyril Boy, you know, from the French national team. They're Marchand, big actually, I'll interrupt you there, Fiona. Literally yeah. about 10 minutes ago, I saw Marchand is out for this weekend. Ooh. He's injured, so that's, that's obviously a, a big swing as well. Oh yeah, that's that's a big thing because he's been leading from the front. You know, he's obviously their captain as well. So so that's that's huge. That's a big thing for Ulster. Um. So so I think Eddie's right. I think they'll have to be a little bit more conservative, but their defense will have to be really really good, and especially around the fringes. I've watched lose when they play. If you give them anything at rock time, 
when they're when they're attacking they'll go 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 to give that backline attack more space on the outside so so defense has to be chopped tackle and up to their feet straight away but it's going to be a cracking game it's definitely the game of the weekend for me i think okay interesting that one saturday afternoon and a reminder as well ireland against uh, ireland against italy in the women's six nations that's live on rt2 and rt player this sunday evening five o'clock kickoff four thirty is the coverage time the coverage starts on rt2 that's all we have time for here on the RT Rugby Podcast. Though a reminder, all the Champions Cup coverage on RT Radio 1 over the weekend. And we'll have live trackers on RT Online as well. But until next week from the RT Rugby Podcast, we'll speak to you soon. The RT Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.